0: You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Brittany Luce. The beginning of January often means two things. Number one, it's a new year, and we've got so much to look forward to. And number two, a lot of us just spent days, maybe even weeks, cooped up with our families, which can be a beautiful thing. But even the most harmonious of families bump heads from time to time. So, today I want to revisit a conversation from last summer about families, specifically the relationship between millennial children like me and their parents. One of its been a minute's amazing guest hosts, B.A. Parker, talked to Vox culture reporter Emily St. James about a Hollywood trend that showed parents apologizing to their kids on screen. They get into generation gaps in culture and identity, bad parenting. And how showing all of that makes space for new perspectives about trauma and family. Let's get to it. Here's Parker.
1: You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm B.A. Parker. These past few months, I feel like I've been watching these really involved stories about families of color, finding ways to heal their generational wounds or to see their ancestors as people. From the animated films Encanto and Turning Red to the recent miniseries Ms. Marvel. One movie like this that really struck me is Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is about a mother played by Michelle Yeoh who travels across the multiverse to save her daughter and discovers different versions of her family. These stories are helmed mostly by millennials of color.
2: And core to the idea of them is a bad parent who apologizes eventually, and that apology kind of fixes everything.
1: That's Emily St. James, an entertainment critic at Vox. She writes about how family relationships, queerness, and the trans experience are portrayed on screen. And recently, she wrote about this subgenre I'm talking about, which she calls the millennial parent apology fantasy.
2: One of the things I think marks it as a subgenre is it's very interested in questions of intersectionality, it's interested in questions of how does bad parenting. How does that intersect with the immigrant experience? How does that intersect with race? How does that intersect with queerness? And then also an interest in intergenerational trauma.
1: Emily and I talk about the shift in perspective in the way families are portrayed, how it came to be, what its limits are, and how it could bring about new kinds of stories about family and trauma.
2: There are so many children who need apologies from their parents. And it's not just those of us born between the years of 1980 and
1: 1995. Exactly. But I guess that old adage, was it like, kids are waiting to hear I'm sorry, and parents are waiting to hear thank
2: you? Exactly, yes. And I think that we have had movies that are literally... The parent waiting to say thank you. And then, like, there's like a nod toward, well, maybe the parent wasn't always great. And then the parent's like, oh, I'm sorry. And then the kid's like, thank you for buying me a pound puppy when I was four. Um, But now I think we are skewing in the opposite direction. And I think that that is a a necessary overcorrection. But I think that that fantasy, as all fantasies, has a different set of blinders on that we sort of need to account for.
1: What makes it a fantasy when so much of it reflects many of our everyday experiences and emotions?
2: I think what makes it a fantasy is the idea that when the parent apologizes, it fixes 90% of what's wrong. And I think where everything, everywhere, all at once really gets into the problems with that fantasy is in its depiction of the ways that, um, the mini um, and here i'm gonna have to get into the plot of the movie which is very complicated go for it (laughs) so the movie is about this woman named evelyn and she has a daughter named joy who's gay and has a girlfriend and constantly feels like her mother is just too hard on her
0: you are getting fat and you never call me even though we have a family plan and it's free you only
2: visit when you need something Now, it is a thing that can be repaired, and it needs to start with an apology, but that can't be where it stops. So, I think what the film is smart about is it's smart about, A, the fantasy of any given sin can be covered up by an apology when we know that's not true. We know there are things a parent can do that are so abusive and so horrible that the child is right to cut them out of their life. But also the apology is sort of, you know, if you are a child that your parent can apologize to you and make it all better. And I'm not going to spoil it, but one thing I love about the ending of this movie, which is very open to interpretation is that it leaves you with the space to sort of say, okay, where do they go now? Like how do they move past the fact that they both understand everything they're capable of. And I think that that is a really smart exploration of this idea. But yes, the fantasy is fundamentally that an apology can make everything okay.
1: Coming up, why stories about family relationships and trauma are coming from millennials. Stay with us. You mentioned this earlier about like this cultural shift primarily like driven by younger audiences. And I'm wondering why are these stories being written and produced primarily by millennials.
2: I do think that we are living in a time when millennials are taking over the film and television industries to a real degree. And, you know, they're having kids. And when you have kids, you look at the world and very differently because you suddenly are at the other end of this power dynamic Mm -hmm. where you have an enormous amount of power because you know, the child needs you in the very specific meaning of the word need. And that really shifts your perspective. But I do think that also millennials of the generations of Americans making art are by far the most diverse. Gen Z is going to come and supplant us entirely. But, you know, you have a lot more voices of color making films. You have a lot more women making films. You have a lot more queer people making films. And all of that sort of filtering in.
1: Oh, I'm just thinking now, like while watching um mitchell's rushes the machines like the list of all of Mm -hmm. the babies that were born during the creation of that film i was like oh yeah i get it now okay
2: yeah a pretty common thing um in these animated films like uh pixar does that for every one of its movies and i think they probably started the trend and like pixar is an interesting case in point because you look back at their earliest films And they are very much from the point of view of we are dads and we have kids and we're going to write about how sad we are that our kids are growing up. And then they slowly transition into they start being movies about communities. In a weird way, almost the Toy Story movies perfectly graph onto this. I'm still Annie's favorite toy.
1: Because the first is like from 1994
2: and now we're like... Yeah, it's 95, 99, 2010 and 2019 and the first two are just very much about like grown-ups kind of setting aside childish things but also trying to celebrate their children and give their children better lives and they're about toys that were popular when the people who made that first film were kids you know cowboy toys and mr potato head and all of these things Mm -hmm. but then you get to 2010 and 2010 is this movie about how like okay the only way we're going to get through this And this is sort of implicitly understood as death or the apocalypse or the end of everything. (laughs)
1: <laughs> the most existential film I have seen I sobbed in the theater could not do yeah,
2: no I had a very similar reaction but it's very much a movie about okay we need to come together we need to figure all of this out and that is a movie made by people who are you know less tied to children whether because they're younger or because their kids have grown up and like gone off to college and it is a movie about community building which was a very big uh, storytelling trend in the 2010s and continues to this day I don't want to pretend it just stopped in 2019 but the uh, Toy Story 4 mm. is has elements of the parental apology fantasy in it in that like Woody the cowboy has some things he needs to apologize for and he is like the movie's surrogate dad in many ways No 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 we are wasting time we can do this Nobody wants this I do Why Because Why Just because Why Because it's all I have left to do And like that is a major mm-hmm. point of the story it is not by any means, a millennial parental apology fantasy. It's too far removed, but it like has echoes with it. So the Toy Story franchise is the, the keystone of American storytelling.
1: You know what? I believe this, Emily. We did it. Up next, what a spin on these family stories could look like. Stick with us. We talk about this evolution of Toy Story, mm. but what other avenues could this genre open up like what are other types of movies or media like do you imagine or or want to see coming off of this
2: i think that there will probably be more forthright examinations because of this of Toxicity and abuse. I don't want to suggest that that has never happened. There have been many projects that have talked about that. But I think the fantastical nature necessarily opens itself up to interrogation of broken family dynamics. And so I think we're going to head into that and... A movie I point to is kind of on the cusp of this, but it doesn't ever feature any apologies, so it technically doesn't qualify, but it's Ari Aster's um, Hereditary.
0: Try again. Release yourself. Oh, release you, you mean? Yeah, fine. Release me. Just... Don't you ever raise your voice at me. I am your mother!
2: Which is a movie about a horribly broken family where, you know, there's intergenerational trauma. There needs to be some sort of apology. One never comes. Everybody dies. So I think you're going to see a lot more of this trickle into horror. And I think you're already seeing that happen. But horror is going to get a little bit more into. No, there are some things that are so broken that an apology won't cover them up. One place I think the millennial parental apology fantasy could go is it could end with the dissolution of the family unit. It could end with a thing where the parent says, I'm sorry, and the kid says, thank you, that's not enough. And they go off and find a found family that makes them feel more themselves. And you see some of this, weirdly again, Toy Story 4. Features elements of this, <laughs> we the, the Toy Story film exactly. They're everywhere. Uh, you know that is a thing where we still, when we get right up to it, and we're like, there are ways that parents can hurt their children that are so awful that we should not ever be mad at a child for wanting to cut their parent out. And then at the end of the story, we're like, yeah, but you know what? It's good to keep the family unit together. But you know. Everything, everywhere, all at once when I left that theater the first time, I had real trouble with it because I was like, is this movie trying to excuse the abuse that scientist Evelyn did by saying, you know, well, it was just a a broken whatever. And I don't think it is. I ultimately came down on the side of, no, it understands that act was too bad to be forgiven. Yeah. But it also understands that every abused child, to some degree, is looking out there for a version of their parents who is better, even if they're not perfect. And everything, everywhere, all at once, sort of the genius of that movie is it just literalizes that idea by bringing the multiverse in. And I think that's what makes it – what that's what's made it so special to so many people.
1: I mean, I know that you're a critic, but for like the layperson – who is enjoying the film or like who's processing the film. Do you think there are ways to bring these imaginations into the way we interact with our own family?
2: I think the thing that is worth living with in these movies is thinking about the relationships in your life where you have been wronged, but also Thinking about the people that you have done wrong to, and thinking about are there ways I can make restitution? Are there ways I can exist in the world that are better? And you know, we are talking a lot in our country, but all around the world about power dynamics, about privilege, and Those are worthwhile conversations to have, and I think that these movies also intersect with those questions because they're asking us to think about, okay, in your interpersonal relationships, what power do you have over your child? What power do you have over your parent? How should those relationships be structured to minimize abuses of power, abuses of privilege? And when you start taking those ideas and filtering them down to the personal level, it becomes… Very hard to sit with, and I think that that is why these movies exist. They allow us to sit with that idea with those feelings and just say, Yeah, it's okay to be mad at your parents. Yeah, it's okay to say, Oh, I haven't done a great job raising my child and I should apologize. Families are complex organisms, and not every element of them will function perfectly all of the time. And the important thing is just to Acknowledge when you've done wrong, acknowledge when you've hurt someone, and do your best to make restitution. That is living within the moral universe of there are things that can be solved with an apology. And I just want to be clear, there are a lot of ways that anyone can hurt anyone that cannot be solved with an apology. You know, there are enormous uh, cases of abuse, of assault, of all of these things that should not be swept under the rug. But For sure the core of these movies is just don't hurt people and I think that that's a thing we can carry forward and think about and it is worth thinking about the people you have hurt and not just the people who've hurt you
1: <laughs> on that note thank you so much you're welcome Emily, for um, I us like today. that I
2: ended it with like a Norman Vincent Peale aphorism or something
1: <laughs> I mean
0: that's how you that's how you do it Thanks again to Emily St. James, Senior Correspondent for Vox, and It's Been a Minute guest host, B.A. Parker. This episode was originally produced by Janet Ujung Lee and edited by Jessica Mendoza and Quinn O'Toole. Jess also provided additional production support. Our editor is Jessica Plachek. Engineering support came from J.C.E.S. Our executive producer is Verilyn Williams. Our VP of Programming is Yolanda Sanguini. Our Senior VP of Programming is Anya Grundman. Thanks for listening, y'all. I'm Brittany Luce. Happy New Year and talk soon.